You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scripture that we're reading today is out of Mark 14, verses 43 through 52. And if you are using one of the Bibles from the pews, that is on page 944. Mark 14, 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This is the word of the Lord. Evening. That's good. Thank you. My name's Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you're with us for the first time, um, you come at the very end. Uh, like we are in the last few weeks of walking through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And if you, uh, or if you've been gone for a, a little while, um, here we are at the last of the Gospel of Mark. And so you can catch up. Um, most of the podcasts, I mean, at least some of them are on the website. Um, But we've been focusing on uh, really the image of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to to establish. And so the very first part of Mark, uh, really Mark 1 through 8, it's a gospel of action where we see Jesus doing and doing and doing. And all of his doing is undoing the brokenness of this world. Like when we see him heal people, he's saying, this is not how it should be in the kingdom of God when it's fully established. It will not be so anymore. When we see him like get close to uh, the sinners and the tax collectors that everyone else wanted to avoid, he said, there will be no division. There is a changing that happened. It won't be so in the kingdom of God. When we see him get close to the marginalized, those who have been pushed aside, he's saying, in the kingdom of God, it's not about might that you get in. It's not about like status that gets you in. It's actually what we learn in the unfolding of the gospel. It's about my might and my status and me laying all of that down so that your life can be picked up in my grace. And then we got to Mark 9. And it was the moment where he says, you know, Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And uh, they say, hey, some say you're Elijah, some say you're prophet of old. And then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ and the Messiah. And instantly in that moment, he says, you're right. And the Son of Man will go to Jerusalem and will be betrayed and beaten and handed over and killed and then resurrected. And we see in Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10, really, really fast, we see three predictions over and over where he says, I'm now going to my death. And so in the first half, he's showing what the kingdom of God is like. And in the second half, he's showing what the kingdom of God will cost for our entrance. And here we are. Here we are in the betrayal. I got a text from a 
a friend, and he was like, hey, are we looking at Mark 14, 43 through 52? They were trying to get ready uh, for city group, and I said, yeah, and he's like, uh, what are we going to look at? And I was like, well, I mean, we've got swords, we've got uh, people running away naked, I mean, we got all kinds of fun stuff that we're going to be dealing with, and he said, well, are those your points? And I'm like, well, I mean, maybe, I mean, I mean, maybe, they're not quite, but, but like, when we look at this, And when we start to kind of land the ship where we start to see how the gospel unfolded for us, I want you to see this. Jesus laid everything down so that his grace might pick up all of you. But it doesn't mean that he will not look at you and ask you to lay things down. And so ultimately, like, when we look at this, that's what we see. Like we see a picking up of the sword. We see two. We see uh, Judas coming with a crowd of men picked up with swords and clubs. And then we see Peter reaching for a sword in a time of desperation. And if we see the full account, if we add that to the account of the gospel of John, Jesus rebukes them and tells them to put it down. And then we see a fleeing and everyone runs. And so I, I want to talk about this idea of what we see swords, because actually what I think we see here in the Garden of Gethsemane is we see a colliding of two kingdoms. We see a colliding of Jesus who is about to lay the cornerstone. And that means a cornerstone is what you lay first to build something. He's about to lay the cornerstone of the church. He's about to lay the cornerstone of the kingdom of God. And it starts to build. That's why I said, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's happening among us. It's not all here. It's not all here. There's still sickness and division. There's still awful things that happen in the world, like what's happening in Afghanistan. There's all kinds of things. But the kingdom of God has begun. But we also want you to see as we're looking at this that he's asking us to lay something down. And so real real fast, I'd already written this and then this morning when I was looking through it because we're talking about really focusing around Two kingdoms colliding, one that seeks power through the sword, and then we have Jesus' kingdom where he lays all his power down. But in reading a headline this morning just about everything that's happened with Afghanistan, I want to draw just a little bit of distinction. And so when we look at like a Romans um, 13, it talks about the government wielding a sword. And all the time when you see in the scriptures about uh, the sword, especially in the hands of like the government or God himself, it's talking about justice and rightness. And so, like, I mean, I read this this morning and thinking about this, like, I mean, just reading a lot of stuff through the end of the week, um, you know, there's a lot of, like, finger pointing about whose fault is this, why things are getting bad. There's a lot of, I mean, yelling is just kind of what we do in our culture. We just, we don't actually yell. We just type it out and send it, you know I mean? And so there's a lot of that going on. And, like, who's to blame at this? And I read this, this article this morning where the, art, the, the, the writer said this. He's like, I don't know exactly who's to blame, but I am confident that the women and the children and the families and the sons and daughters in Afghanistan are not to blame. And then um, he quoted this, and he just read this. So Proverbs 24, and I'm just going to read this and we're going to pray, and then we're actually going to preach this sermon. Um, but it just says this. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, it says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? 
Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will not he repay man according to his work? Like, let me just pray that. Uh, Father, Lord, you did teach us that we should pray your kingdom come and your will be done. And Lord, your kingdom is so much further than the borders of our state or nation. Jesus, one day every tongue and tribe will be present worshiping you, and we will feel the magnitude of your glory through the multifaceted look of your people and the multifaceted sound of their languages. And Lord Jesus, I know that you love the Afghani people. And so, Lord, as we see suffering and we see hurt, Lord, I pray that we, um, we would feel far more Christian than we would feel anything else. And so, Lord, we just ask for help. We ask for peace. You're, you've come to establish a peace, an otherworldly peace, and, Lord, we have yet to see it, and I long for it. Lord, I long to see peace um, in families in the reconciliation of marriages and brother and sister, and I long to see peace among friends and church family and peace among nations. And so, Lord, when we see the absence of that, Lord, may it not cause us to doubt, but may it cause us to long for your kingdom come. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know, you've probably heard, if you know parents of small kids, you've probably heard about uh, the terrible twos. And so this is a phenomenon when um, a kid has heard the word no enough. And in the developmental process, what happens is they're developing a will. Like they're developing like a want. Like I want this and you're saying no. And so all of a sudden in this development, they start to say no back to you. And they bring with no, like these grabs for power, where what they do is they scream and they kick and they do that. And like, if you ever see that, like, listen, and if you're ever like, oh my gosh, I wish they could get together. You, 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 pro- you don't know what you're talking about. Like the will of a two-year-old, like they learn that they understand the workings of this world in their two years of life more than the parents' 50 to 60 years of combined life. Like all of a sudden they, they learn and they think they have more perspective from like their two foot six inch stature than I tell everyone I'm five nine. I mean, it's unconfirmed. They believe that it is unsafe to trust their parents in dietary choices, in sleeping schedules, and in the necessity of changing that poopy diaper right now before that diaper rash would make a grown human being beg for morphine. Like it is unbelievable what can happen. Like they learned, like, like I was thinking about this. And so, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm experienced. We've taken four kids through uh, the terrible twos. I, 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 I remember like thinking, man, if we cut out mealtime and we cut out bedtime and we cut out like we got to change that poopy diaper time, we would eliminate like all spankings, but our child would die. And so it's like, eh, I mean, I don't know, you know. But this is what I want you to know about the terrible twos. They're a lie. They are nothing compared to the tyrannical threes. Like, they are nothing compared to that. But what happens is when our will gets invoked and we feel like our life is threatened or our desires are threatened, we reach for power. 
Like we reach to something to try to sustain our life. Like we reach for something to try to hold it together to say, no, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. And if you're small, like you may not be able to reach for like really, really big things, but you can reach for a piercing scream that like will wake the dead. We reach for power when we feel threatened. You know, I mean, those twos and threes are so hard. Your cute little giggly toddler starts reaching for control. Like, why do we scream, yell, fight, and give the silent treatment? Because we, we want power. And when we're in a threatening situation and think we've lost it, we reach for something to sustain ourselves. Why, why do we gossip and slander or manipulate or tell half-truths? Be- because we want power. Like, why must we have the TV controller in our hand, even if we're not going to change it? Because we don't want someone else to try to change it on us. We want power. And so ultimately, have you ever thought about all that you do to gain control or power over situations or over relationships? How many times do we reach for swords? You know, this passage, like just looking at this passage, we see two kingdoms colliding with very different values, and we're going to look at that. In this moment in Jesus' life, like we witness an otherworldliness that we have a hard time understanding no matter how many times we read his words about it. We just don't know how it actually works in this world, but we see it coming against a very typical kingdom that brings clubs and swords and people to try to control, to try to stop him. And we see him laying down. We see different values colliding. This passage convicts me and convicts my constant reach for leverage or power or for my lack of faith in the promises and teachings and the scriptures. This passage shows how much we love and depend upon ready accessed swords to gain leverage over our situation and people. We reach so quickly. See, right here, the clash between kingdoms in the Garden of Gethsemane brings the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God in sharp contrast. And it's going to ask us what it asked, Jesus asked Peter. Do you trust Jesus enough to lay down your easiest accessed sword? And so I just, I just have two points. And so this is what they are. We're going to look first at Judas and the kingdom of this world. And we're going to look at clubs and swords and crowds and titles. And then we're going to look at Peter and his struggle um, in, to embrace and to be in the kingdom of God because he reaches for swords too. And then we will throw Mark running um, out naked, but that's not a main point. But here we go. First, Judas and the kingdom of this world. And I just want to say it like this, if I'm going to say it affirmatively. In this world, we love swords to help us take and hold power. And like, they started off, I wanted to make the distinction between a government's ability and right to, a government's supposed to protect its people from mass, like, injustices. But like what we see is constantly reading. So Judas led a gang of armed soldiers to arrest Jesus. And then he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And let's look at those two elements. And so first, Judas came to arrest Jesus with this armed mob. 
And so the first, like, we just say, why did Judas betray him? And there's been lots of options given. Like, the scriptures can lead us to kind of two options, and you can just pick which one you want, and there's probably other options. But, like, the first, like, it could have been for simple greed. In John chapter 12 and verses 4 through 6, it says that it was his practice to steal from the money bag. He was like a bad accountant that just took money for himself. And so it might have been just out of greed. We know he sold Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. And like in our moment like this, we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that. How many times do we skirt the teachings of the scripture and the prompting of the spirit to be generous and to give and to hold things open-handed when, when it comes to possessions and money? Like, listen, those are scary things that when we start to feel like we don't have them, like we start to reach and we start to grab for power and we start to think, I don't know if I can trust the teachings of what Jesus says about living open-handedly, about giving beyond what your means is. Like, I don't know if I can trust that. And listen, if you don't know about the scriptures, what they say about giving, they are going to blow your mind. It is like, like, when I teach about it, I'm always like, gosh, can I really say all of that? Because it seems to say that the Bible, when it talks about your monetary possessions, it wants to present it as seeds. And it says if you take all the seeds and you hoard it up and you hang on to all of it, nothing's going to grow. But if you take the same seeds and you spread it out open-handedly and you cast it, there will be lots of growth and you will never be without. Like that is otherworldly. But we see that maybe you know, Judas betrayed him for greed, or it could have been to force Jesus into a forceful revolution. Also in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, after Jesus fed the 5,000, like if you remember this moment, he had to run away because the crowd wanted to force him to be king. And so maybe Judas was like on that mindset. He's like, hey, if I make the right situation, Jesus will have to act. I'm going to control him. I want him to act now, and I want him to act the way I want him to act now. Like that's a lot of nows in an improper run-on sentence. I want Jesus to act now. And like, do we not do that? Like, do we not kind of like have the end in mind of what I want and then we just kind of try to manipulate the way to get there so we can act like we got to the end and be blameless, but we started with the end in mind? Like, we, we have this intention and then we just kind of try to manipulate it. So like, well, God, you got to bless it because, hey, really, I'm innocent. But if we're honest, man, we always had the same end in mind and we always ran for it. And we were just trying to look innocent before people because it doesn't change. God sees all. And so, I mean, maybe it was this force revolution. I'll put him in a situation. But what we see is look at verse 43. We see all these holds for power. And so the first, like a sword of control that reached for it is the crowd. Look at verse 43. It says, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd. Like this is something we reach for to control. Like we, we reach for other people and we say, look at all of us. If they agree with me or they think I'm pretty, then I must be okay. And so then we like get around people. Like this is like middle school bullying. Like this is the in crowd. Like we reach for the crowd. We're like, look at all that's with me. I must be okay. Like look at all that's with me. He comes with a crowd. 
The second thing, verse 43, it goes on. He, you know, he comes with a crowd, and that crowd with swords and clubs. And so, like, these are the swords are literally the swords. You know, I mean, I didn't do a lot of interpretive work there. The swords are literally the swords. But let me just ask you this. Like, why do you threaten bodily harm? Like, that happens in this world. Like, we threaten bodily harm to control people, and the reason is because we know it works. Like sometimes we threat with crowds, make threats with crowds. Sometimes we do it with just bodily harm. And ultimately what's about to happen here is the crucifixion, which the crucifixion is much more than just about like a death sentence. It's like state-sponsored terrorism to scare people because there's much more efficient ways to kill people. It's saying, listen, we will do bodily harm to you if you don't fall in order, if you don't submit under this. Like, it's what we see. It's a sword that we reach for. Or a sword of control we reach for is political power. Look at verse 43. And we're still in verse 43, the end of 43. It says, it says that they came with a crowd with swords and clubs. And then next, look at these titles. You know it's a title when it has the before it. And so it says, from the chief priest and the scribes, and the elders. And so Judas is coming with powerful titles, political power, and he's coming to influence and impose upon over Jesus. He's not just bringing weapons and numbers, he's also bringing titles. Like, have you considered all the swords that you're prone to reach for when a situation or relationship feels out of control. Like sometimes we, we reach for, for brute force. Um, this was several years ago. I, I came up to help put Cruz to bed, and it was dark, and I go to lay into his bed, and man, I laid on top of all kinds of hard plastic pokey things, and I mean, it hurt, and I jump out of bed, I turn on the light, and he had lined his bed all around him with all his weapons. Like he had guns and swords and some things just looked like brute, like that's eh, a brick. I don't know. I mean, just, and he was like, man, I'm just ready for whatever happens tonight. He was ready. Sometimes it's just force. I mean, I mean sometimes it, when people don't like how a conversation relationship go is, is they, they reach to yell and hit. It's to control a situation. It's to leverage it. I mean, sometimes that's what happens. In the seventh grade, I wrestled 95 pounds. 95 pounds of fear, ferocity in a baggy singlet, you know? And I would go out there, and it's just, you know, mano versus mano, and there were cheerleaders there to really discourage you if you're not doing good. And I'd go out there, and you're just trying to implement your force upon your opponent. I mean, I just remember out there trying to wrestle, and the cheerleaders, like, twist them like a pretzel show them how to wrestle. And I, mean, I just remember being so frustrated because like I'm trying and then I would start to get pinned and they would start clapping and say, get up, get up. I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> Sometimes we leverage things just with brute force. Sometimes we leverage things with words, whether it's tone or descriptions or how we cut. We get louder and louder to drown out the other person or side. We say things we mean, and sometimes things we don't mean, but sometimes the things that we say we didn't mean, we really meant. We just don't have the courage to say, yeah, I meant it. We try to control. Sometimes 
we reach for the sword of just a severed relationship. If I don't like what you say or you don't agree, I just sever it. I'll just walk away. Sometimes we employ the silent treatment. You know, and I just want you to see this. Like, in a relationship, if to control the relationship you yell and scream, that's obviously a way you're trying to control the dialogue or the relationship. If you walk away in a silence treatment, you're also trying to control. Like, we reach for swords. We reach for swords. In, in the Lord of the Rings, there's lots of different characters, and I think one character in the Lord of the Rings that doesn't get talked about as a character is the ring of power itself. Think about how it touches everyone's life, and there's a change. And if you're like, I don't, I've never read the Lord of the Rings, just let a few of us geek out on this just a little bit, okay? But it comes into grit, like it touches Smeagol, a hobbit-like creature, and he becomes so infatuated with the power that it brings that it turns him inward and it changes his appearance. It casts him down until all he can do is think about the ring itself as my precious. It touches Boromor, a good king, and all of a sudden, it, like, it gets contorted in his mind of what it means to save his kingdom and that he has to have it, and all the other kingdoms become a, an obstacle before him. It touches Frodo himself, and it slowly changes him. Like you see, the, the lust to touch these swords and to have power over, it's something that changes us. And when we engage it over and over and over, just like it does for Gollum, it turns us into lonelier, more unhappy people. It takes our humanity away because all the relationships we have have to be on our terms. And if they're not on our terms, we leverage and manipulate to get them there. The kingdom of God is not like that. And so make no mistake, Judas brings crowds with authority and weapons to assert power upon Jesus. It was a betrayal, and betrayals always hurt, but betrayals hurt even more when the relationship is close. And so Judas brings an armed crowd, but Judas also came with a kiss. Look at verse 44. It says, now, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, this was just, I mean, the garden of Gethsemane would have been very, very dark. There wouldn't have been any artificial lights, which, I mean, we need to talk about this. Like, our city is putting, like, some street lights in that are, like, black lights. Have you guys seen this? Like, it's blinding. Like, I mean, it's only appropriate if you're going to, like, disco dance with white gloves on. Um, we need to address this problem, okay? But there wouldn't have been any of that. So when it was dark, it was dark. And so it'd be easy for someone to slip away in a dispersing crowd. And so it was this embrace, the one I embrace and the one I kiss. Keep your eyes on him and you get him. And so this was code just to be helpful. But listen, when Mark writes this, he doesn't use the normal word for kiss, which is filio. It's where we get the you know, brotherly love, Philadelphia. So it can be used just to say love, or it can be interpreted as kiss, a sign of love. What he does is he adds a preposition to it, so it's kata filio. Now, kata just means on or against, and so the picture is, this is like, a, like a, a long, like an intimate like embrace, 
Like take the romantic stuff out of it. But this is a picture of Judas coming up to Jesus, a close, close friend, laying in on him and holding him, kissing him on the cheek and saying, I love you, and then saying, now what are you going to do, brother? This is using language to show a deep, deep betrayal. And so we don't know all of Judas's motives for betraying Jesus. Like, was it to gain money and power among the elites, maybe? Was it to force Jesus' hand to bring his kingdom in a way that seemed right to Judas? I think that's more likely. But what is clear to me is we are prone to be close and intimate to Jesus until it starts to cost us and then we reach for swords. And that's exactly what we see in Peter. So first point, Judas in the kingdom of this world, reaching for power to get what we want to control our relationships, our circumstances. Second point, we see Peter's struggle in the kingdom of God. Like our intimate we are, like our, we are intimate in our relationship with power. Like it haunts us, even as we walk with Jesus. Like it's a constant thing that we reach back to. It's hard to stop. It's hard to say, why not rather be wrong? It's hard to sacrifice yourself for others. It's hard to repent and say, man, it's worse than what you even know. It's hard to do that. And so we constantly reach for something. We constantly reach for swords. And so actually, let's skip a second. Jump down to verse 48. It says this, And Jesus said to them, You have come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And so what Jesus does is he stops and he confronts him. He says, there were lots of times you could have arrested me, but you chose to do it in the cloak of darkness. You chose to do it when other people weren't watching. You chose to do it to apply your power in secret. Which just for a second, like I want you to see that. Like, like when you use power moves in, in, in relationships or situations and those become evident to other people, aren't you kind of embarrassed? We want to hide it. We want the outcome, but we know that that might be kind of childish. And so sometimes we have to apologize for the way we acted or what we said or what we did. And we're scared if other people know about that, what will they think about me? And so he just exposes that, like, you want to leverage this. You want the power, but you want to do it in secret. And so that's the first thing we see. But look at verse 48. And so the ESV says robber. <clears throat> Sorry, I coughed. You can't even, I mean, it's not 2019. You can't do that anymore. <clears throat> it says a robber. And I, I actually think this is a bad translation. So the NASB and the NIV, they're going to translate it as someone leading a rebellion or something like that. It's the word that could be described a revolutionary, you know, someone who steals from the current power system. And so I think Jesus is saying, like, you think I'm a revolutionary. And I don't think he's saying I'm actually not a revolutionary. I think he's saying I am starting a revolution, but I'm not starting a revolution with, with clubs and with swords. I'm starting a new kingdom in a way that you can't even comprehend, in a way that your clubs and swords can't stop. Jesus is going to say, I'm going to lay everything down and become a servant of all to be a ransom for many, that many will draw close and be a part of the kingdom of God. 
See, the kingdom of God is invading this world through sacrificial acts of dependence upon God, not power grabs. But this isn't easy to catch. It's not easy to do. Look back up in verse 46. In, in verse 46 and verse 47, we, we see the in-between. And so between Judas betraying Jesus, the, the crowd of soldiers and armed men there, and then Jesus stopping the situation, you see Peter reaching for a sword to defend. And it says this, And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, in John 18, we find out that that's actually Peter. Like, Peter did that. And Peter's doing a lot of stuff. He's still going to do a lot of stuff. And we're going to talk about it in the next coming weeks. Like, Peter has a lot going on. And Peter's actually doing what he said he was going to do. Like, you know, Jesus at the Last Supper, he said, listen, all of you guys are going to run away. And Peter said, hey, these chumps might run away. I'll never run away. I'll die for you. And then you get the bad news. He's like, Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. And he's like, may it never be. That won't happen. And so this is like Peter's moment. Like Peter's like, no, this is my moment. I said I would do it. I brought my sword. I'm ready for this. And I just want to point out a couple things. Peter wanted the kingdom of God. Peter had heard all that he had taught, Jesus had taught about the coming kingdom. Peter had seen all that Jesus had done to demonstrate what the kingdom of God would be like. Jesus, you know, Peter was always front row for the miracles. Like he saw what Jesus was doing and he's like, yes, I want that kingdom. Peter had heard Jesus say over and over that he was going to Jerusalem to lay down his life. Mark 8, verse 31. Mark 9, verse 31. Mark 10, verse 33. But in an intense moment, when everything was threatened, he went back to the swords that he knew. He reached for a sword. And I see that in my life. In a hard situation, like reaching for the sword or maybe a half-truth or an excuse or a hard situation, you know, pushing a relationship aside because it's easier to avoid and not deal or a hard situation, you know, I'm trying to twist them like a pretzel, show them how to wrestle. I mean, over and over, we reach for swords. Now, listen, uh, three of my commentaries made this point. I wouldn't have come up with it, um, but I, I read them, and so they made this point, so it's mine. They drew this image between the difference of the kingdom that Jesus talked about and the difference of the kingdom of our world, and they looked at the Sermon on the Mount to do it. Now, if, you, if you've been in the Bible reading plan, we just read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. But they pointed to, to Luke 6 because it's shorter and it's easier. And so listen to what the kingdom of God is like. When Jesus stopped, and this would have been a sermon that Peter would have heard hundreds of times. As Jesus went around and went to new cities, he would have taught this over and over and over. And so he would have showed up. Luke 6, verse 20. If you have your Bibles, you can look at that. Or you can just listen to me. I'll read somewhat clearly. Luke 6, verse 20. It's the shorter list. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so the fathers did to the prophets. Now, just look at that. It says, when you find yourself lacking, know that the kingdom of God is still yours. When you find yourself broken and sad and the circumstances of your life aren't the way, know that you shall laugh again. When you find yourself in a situation where people are excluding you and pushing you for the sake of like following after Jesus, like know this, that it's happened before. It happened to Jesus, and he's saying, I don't exclude you. Now, this doesn't mean that only the poor and the hungry, and actually I think it's sometimes better to look at Luke 6 because Matthew 5 spiritualizes a little bit. I think there's a lot to learn from that. But it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so sometimes we say, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's okay. But I think this is saying something pretty incredible. This is saying like on the bottom list, if we're making a list about the priorities of the kingdom of this world, no one puts, man, poverty and sadness at the top. No one says, man, that's what this administration is going to be about. Let's get poor and let's get sad. I mean, no one puts that. That's always at the bottom. And so we assume if we don't have poverty or if we don't have sadness that we must be okay. God must really love us, especially in this day. That's what they would have assumed. And so what is certainly happening here is, I think, two things. He's saying in the kingdom of God, we won't exclude because of those things. We won't ignore people in those situations. We won't believe if things aren't working out for me that God doesn't love me because God actually values those things. He says God will value the things that we constantly reach beyond. And then look at the next list. So starting in verse 24, he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation." But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Like, let's just summarize that list. Money. Possessions. Reputation. Oh my Those are the things that we reach for to secure ourselves when we think everything else is failing. And he's saying, in the kingdom of God, those things will never fully secure you. You know, over the summer, if you were in the Bible reading plan, see these plugs, man. We think you ought to read the Bible, let it shape your life. When it convicts you, repent. When it encourages you, share it. I mean, that's what we think you ought to do. I mean, did you read Ecclesiastes? Like Solomon ran after everything that we think is going to make us happy. And at the end, he's like, man, just eat and drink and find a job. I mean, and so I know some of you are in school, just eat, drink, find a job, you know? I mean, and so I, over and over, he says, those things won't secure you. We think that we will have a secure life if we have the right kind of finances, the right kind of possessions, and the right kind of people's approval. Peter would have heard this sermon over and over and over. 
And he knew all of that. But when he was scared, he reached for a sword. But, see, if we look into John 18 for a, a more full account, Jesus rebukes him and tells him to put it down. Peter reached for the sword, but when Jesus asked him to lay it down, he laid it down. When I talked about swords that we reach for, if Jesus asked you to lay that down, will you? You know, if you were in a crowd and everybody had uh, swords and clubs and you didn't, like how would you feel? You'd probably feel kind of like vulnerable. You know, if in your relationships, like are you reading, reaching for swords of power? Will you lay them down like Peter did, even if it makes you feel vulnerable? You know, this would apply to relationships and situations. This would apply to political ideology. This would apply to all the areas of your life, like the things that you might reach for. If Jesus is holding that and saying, trust me, follow me, applying scriptures to you to say, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. The choice is, will you lay it down even if it makes you feel unsafe? And that's exactly what we see here. Look at verse 50. It says, And they all left him and fled. All the disciples ran. And then verse 51, it says, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, I looked at five commentaries, and they all said, hey, this church history says this was Mark who wrote this. And so, like, just think about what that looked like. Like this picture of Mark telling the story, and Mark would have been a young man here, and just telling the story and said, man, we were in the garden, and I heard him pray, and we kept falling asleep, and he kept asking us to stay up, and he was like sweating blood, and he was scared. I've never seen Jesus like this, but he calmed himself, submitted himself to the will of God, and then all of a sudden, this like this little army battalion showed up, and they had clubs and swords, and it was Judas, and he kissed him and betrayed him, and and then Peter pulled out a sword and Jesus like, not on my watch, but he cut the dude's ear off. And then John, we found out, he put it back on. And like all of a sudden everyone ran. And he's like, and then there was this guy who was running and they grabbed him by the, by the clothes. And he's like, ah, just get out of those clothes. And he ran away naked and ashamed. And I'm not going to give his name, but it was this guy. Everyone is failing. Everyone has a limit that it's just too vulnerable and it's too scary. And so they reach for something for comfort and they reach for something for control. And if they don't have it, they just run. But right in the middle of all of this, in the middle of the shouts and the betrayal and the club and the swords, is Jesus. He was alone, laying down his life. So listen to me so that we can lay down the things that we think keep us safe, but according to the scriptures, will never sustain you. 
apart from Jesus laying everything down, apart from God dying in our place, apart from a supernatural kingdom that's happening all around us and in us that will one day be fully consummated, this will never make sense and we will never obey it and we're never going to do it really, really well, but we can do it incrementally as the Spirit of God says, not today, lay down that sword. So I just ask, What is the sword you need to lay down? You know, ultimately, every week when we come to communion, we see what was laid down. And so we start with the bread, and we see that the body of Christ was laid down, that he was beaten, and his flesh was torn apart, and he could have stopped at any moment, but he chose not to. And he was pulled apart that our lives might be pulled back together. And so, Christian, we start here. We remember that Jesus laid everything down so that we might be lifted up to the kingdom of God, not upon our works, but because of his good grace. Christian, the body of Jesus broken for you. We also see that he laid down his blood, that his blood was poured out to atone for our sin and to absorb the wrath of God that we might be made whole again. And so, Christian, I remind you, the blood of Jesus poured out for your life. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would actually see that. Like in the middle of all the shouts, in the middle of the betrayal, in the middle of the clubs and the swords was Jesus and Jesus alone. Lord, everyone else saw what was happening in that garden and they said nothing good could come from that. It is too vulnerable. It is too weak. Too much is laid down. You can only lose in that situation. And they ran. And Lord, I am so prone to run. Lord, I'm so prone to run and I'm so prone to reach for swords. I'm so prone to try to establish my life and my relationships in a way that feels safe to me. And when things feel vulnerable, I just get scared. But Lord, you tell us that you help us in our time of weaknesses. And when we are weak, we are strong. And so Lord, because of your spirit in us, we can lay down swords. And so Lord, I just ask that you would do this. Is there a sword we need to lay down tonight? Lord Jesus, only by the power of the gospel and the hope that we have because of Christ in us for the hope of glory that we would lay it down. Make us a people that would say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done.